just want to thank you. Jesus, I just want to thank you. Thank you for being so good. And we'll do praise him and tell him with just a simple little chorus. I get to get the first time I have to go through it. All together. Jesus, I just want to thank you. 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 Thank you for being so good. Praise Him now. Jesus, I just want set of ushers come forward to receive our offering and as we do so let me just make mention of a couple of things uh, the ladies uh, banquet is coming up the ladies appreciation banquet is coming up and we need several of the men that will be a server or a servant that'd be a good word for it a servant uh, during the banquet and uh, many of you have helped in the past years and I think they have a hundred and seventy five that are signed up for this ladies' appreciation banquet. So we need every one of you fellas that can, and we don't care how bad you look, we just need everybody that will to help us with it. So if you will help uh, and will be willing to help, you won't see Sherry right after the service. She'll be right over here in the wing, but we need all the men that will. She'll let you know what you need and all that kind of thing. So help us that. And then if you haven't signed up for the golf tournament, it's coming Friday, isn't it? Is it this coming Friday? Uh, you need to sign up or let Terry know you're going to be playing. And this is one of the fundraisers for the youth. They're heading to uh, Kernersville, or not Kernersville, but Yakinville, North Carolina, uh, for the Youth Alive Conference with Tim Lee. So uh, you be sure to sign up for that. And maybe you don't like to play, but you can make a donation to them. Again, it's all going to help the kids go to the Youth Alive Conference. And speaking of Tim, he'll be here two weeks from today. Tim Lee be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. So I want you to help spread the word around, and we're looking forward to a great week uh, with Brother Tim. And also, uh, the singing Saturday night here, or not Saturday night, Friday night at 7 o'clock, and uh, which will be justified in the autumn and the bond service, and you don't want to miss that, 7 o'clock. And if you would have a place, if you have a place where you can put up a poster to advertise it, see Joe after the service, and he'll get you one that you can put out let's pray now father thank you for all you're doing we ask you to bless all the things that are coming up the activities this week the activities in the weeks to come may they be blessed of you and anointed of you bless the service tonight in jesus name amen
special request for us to sing this and I promised we would. Anytime we get one we'd be a blessing we know or at least we're blessing one person anyway. But isn't it good to know that we can face the trials of day things we go through knowing that he's coming to take us home. You know there's a promise there he'll go with us and take care of us all through the way but you know it's good he's preparing a place for us and that soon and very soon I feel like he's coming to take us home. He's coming to take me home. A silent the city of love, for the armies of angels, with all of their might, are patiently waiting to gather. Heaven's quiet 
stand silent they're waiting to see everything's ready for the bride and the king he's coming to take me
Let's all stand tonight as the choir comes down. Let's get out and let's visit around, shake hands, make everyone feel welcome tonight. Make us a friendly church. People know when they come here, they're made welcome. Just keep shaking hands, get you a songbook, turn on page 539, 539, I will sing of my Redeemer. Now get you a book, it's not one of those you're going to remember, 539. on that raise your hand good how many you know the verse of that raise your hand that's what i thought i felt like i was singing solo get you a book page 539 all right we're going to look at that last one i will sing of my redeemer and his heavenly love to me 539 i will sing of my redeemer and his heavenly love to me from his death to life had brought me son of god with him to be sing oh sing of my redeemer with his blood he purchased me on the cross he sealed my pardon paid the Thank you. You may be seated.
eyes the only truth I see when my hopes and dreams have shattered you're the one that's there for me when I found you I was blessed and I will never leave you I need you imagine me without you I'd be lost and so confused I wouldn't last a day I'd be afraid without you there to see me through Imagine me without you Lord, you know it's so impossible Because of you, it's all brand new My life is now worthwhile I can imagine me without you when you caught me I was falling your love lifted me back on my feet it was like you heard my calling and you rushed to set me free when I found you I was blessed and I will never leave you, I need you. Imagine me without you, I'd be lost and so confused. I wouldn't last a day, I'd be afraid without you there to see me through. Imagine me without you, Lord, you it's just impossible because of you it's all brand new my life is now worthwhile i can imagine me without you I found you, I was blessed, and I will never leave you, I need you, without you, I'd be lost and so confused, I wouldn't last a day, I'd be afraid without you there to see me through, imagine me My life is now worthwhile. I can imagine me. I can imagine me without you. Let's take our Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Jessica sung that song a couple of Wednesday nights ago. It's the first time I'd ever heard it. And it's all I ever listened to is country music. You know how that goes. So rock music. But uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like not to be a Christian and, and serving the Lord. Can you? I can't imagine. This, this is all that I have done this is all that I have known for the biggest part of my life I can't imagine anything else just knowing the Lord I'm glad I know him don't you praise the Lord let's stand as we honor the reading of his word Joshua 14 I will take a few minutes tonight to refresh your memory it's been a number of weeks on Sunday night since we have been in Joshua but a few weeks ago before we had special services and different things I brought a message from Joshua chapter 14 concerning Caleb about an 85-year-old mountain climber. And I'm going to continue that. If you remember, I said to you that first night, instead of just looking at all these verses in just one message, I had prepared a message and had my traditional three points to it. But there's so many things uh, that I wanted to say that I couldn't say in one message. 
Not that, that I couldn't say them in one message. I doubted you would stay long enough for me to say them. You know how that goes, amen? And, but so I decided I would break them down into three different messages. The first one I brought you, we talked about how God requires faith. And now we're going to talk about how God reveals faith. But look in Joshua 14, beginning in verse 5. We'll read our text again. The Bible said, As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Knesseite, and said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee, in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive as he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And lo, now I am this day fourscore and five years old. And I, as yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Knetzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And tonight we're going to continue looking at this 85-year-old mountain climber. I want us to learn something about faith tonight. We tried to learn a few things about faith the week before, a few weeks ago. Let's build on what we saw in our last study from this chapter about faith. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight as we come to you, Father, the more we study this Bible, the more we realize the importance of faith in our life as a believer. Father, the more that we read your word, the more we see that faith is required in our life as a Christian. So if it's so important to us and essential to us as a believer, then get our attention tonight. Let us hear from you. Speak to us, Lord. I yield myself to you that I be not a hindrance to anything you would want to say to this body of believers tonight, to this church. So, Father, I open my heart and submit myself to you that you might speak to me and that you might speak to every person that's in this room. Again, get our attention. Help us to realize, Lord, tonight the importance of faith. Teach us a few things about faith. And we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. When I think about the matter of faith, I think about something that is very, very critical in our life as a believer. You remember in our study, the first time we looked at this chapter, I brought to your attention one verse of Scripture and Hebrews 11, I want to put it on the screen. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, I want you to look at this. Look at it carefully. The Bible said, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, my personal opinion tonight, that statement, but without faith, it is impossible to please God is one of the most powerful statements in the entire Bible. For the Bible tells me in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that when faith is absent, it is impossible for me to please God. The word impossible that is used there suggests that my Christian life is rendered impotent if there be not faith in my life. 
And the tense of the verb please indicates that apart from faith, there is not a single moment that I please God if there is not faith in my life. Can I say that again? If there is no faith in our life as a believer, our Christian life is left impotent. We are left powerless. And if there is no faith in our life, there is not one single moment that we are pleasing to God. You see, the writer is making it very clear and telling me that faith is a crucial ingredient in my Christian life. That faith is crucial in this matter of pleasing God. When I come to God, that is, draw near to God, approach God, even worship God, I must come in faith. For we that cometh, the Bible said, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Notice that, must believe that he is. Because I cannot please God apart from faith. If there is no faith in my life, there's not one moment that I please God. For when I come to Him, when I approach Him, when I worship Him, I must come in faith. Now what does it mean to come in faith? I must come believing, which means that I must come in faith, that I must come trusting God. That when I approach God, that when I come to God, no matter what I come to God for, I must come believing that He is. Believing that He is everything that He claims to be believing that He's everything that He said to be. And I must come to God believing that He is and having faith that He will be all that He claimed to be and that He will do all that He claimed to do. Now, faith is a crucial ingredient in our life. And because it is so crucial in our life and because it's so important in my life, your life, yea, even the life of this church, for that reason, the story of Caleb, I decided not to rush through it but to break it down and spend a little more time and a little more detail. So I said instead of bringing one message, bring three of them and help you to understand a little bit about faith. And the reason is this. Caleb is an example of faith. Remember what he said to Moses? He said, or to Joshua? He said, therefore, give me this mountain. And we looked at that in our first study of this chapter and we saw that how those words reveal faith in Caleb. You remember in our first study, we began by thinking about how God requires faith. How God requires faith. And we saw that Caleb's words, give me this mountain, took us back to a promise that had been given to him 40-some years earlier. The land had been given to them by God. The land was theirs, given to them by God. And all the children of Israel had to do was take the land. God said, this is your land, I give you the land, I promise you the land, it's yours. And all they had to do was take the land. All they had to do was take God at His word and act upon the word of God. Now that's what faith is. Faith is not hitching your wagons to a star. Faith is not just following some kind of hunch that you have. And faith is not just leaping out in the dark. Faith is taking God at His word. Faith is nothing more, nothing less than believing what God said in His word. Amen? You watch TV, these fellows tell you, name it and claim it. But I want to tell you something. It's not in the Bible. You can't name it and you can't claim it. Faith is taking God at His word. It's whatever God said. If God said He'd do something, then faith is believing He'll do it. If God said He would do this or God would work this way, Faith is taking him at his word and believing him for it. But Caleb, the story in behind the back, background here, is all they had to do was to take God at his word. Now we saw as we thought about how God requires faith, two things about it. One, faith is expected in the life of the believer. You look at the Bible, God expects me to have faith in my life. God expects every believer to have faith. It's not a matter, it's not a supplemental part of our life. It's a fundamental part of our life. Therefore, faith is expected in my life. Second of all, we saw that faith was essential in our life. Children of Israel, the land was theirs. But faith was essential to taking the land. The reason they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, they didn't take God at His word. They didn't believe God. They didn't believe what He said. They didn't respond to God and believe God and take Him at His word. Thus they wandered for 40 years and that particular generation never got to see the land of Canaan. But faith is expected in my life. Faith is essential in my life. In other words, faith is required in my life. You agree with me? Say amen. If you don't, it doesn't matter. But anyway, second thing I want you to think about tonight is this. 
I not only want to just say a few things about how faith is required, but I want you to look at the story and notice how faith is revealed in our life. Not only is faith required in our life, but notice how faith is revealed in our life. Take the story again and the background behind it. And the story before us in, 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 in Joshua 14, Caleb is asking Joshua to give him the portion of land that Moses had promised him. Now that takes us back again about 40 years earlier, in fact a little longer than that, and it takes us back to a time when faith was put to the test. It takes us back to a moment of time in the history of the children of Israel where they were brought face to face with a situation that revealed who had faith and revealed who did not have faith. I'm reminded tonight in our life as a believer that there is always going to be some situation in our life. You mark this down. Somewhere in your life as a child of God, you get serious about serving God, you get serious about honoring God, you get serious about glorifying God somewhere. God is going to bring you to a situation where He's going to put your test or your faith to the test. And God's going to bring you face to face with a situation that's going to reveal whether or not you have faith in God or not. Now the background is found in Numbers 13. Would you turn there please? The book of Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And you can just mark your place. That's where we'll stay the rest of the night. The background of the story here is in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. In fact... Joshua referred to her, Caleb referred to it in verse 7 and verse 8 of chapter 14 when he said, For forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord. That takes us back to Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. Notice the story. And you find here in Numbers 13 how God brought them to a place where their, test, where their faith was tested, where their faith was revealed. Look at Numbers 13, 1, 2, and 3. Numbers 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. And the Bible said, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers, shall you send a man, everyone a ruler among them, Verse 3, And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Now here's the story. They were to take a man from each tribe. They'd been brought to the edge of Canaan. God had said, This is your land. I want you to go spy out the land. So they chose one man from every tribe. Twelve men. And these twelve men were going to Canaan to spy out the land. Now let me remind you. They were not going in the land to spy out the land to see if they could take the land. They were sent out there to spy the, spy the land out to find out how to take the land. Not if, but how. That's the difference there. And God said, I give you the land. I want you to go check it out. So there's going to set up a strategy for taking the land. Not a matter of if they could take the land, but how to take the land. So the 12 men go out. They spend several days out there looking things over, and they come back as one group. They went out as one group, but they came back as one group, but yet divided into two divisions. They came back, here was a group of ten, and here was a group of two. Now what happened when they went over in the land of Canaan and spied it out was a situation that put their faith to the test. So these ten, twelve men come back, and they all give a different report. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Notice with me two things. One, I want you to notice with me the fear of the majority. Notice Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. Here's the fear of the majority. The Bible said, And they returned, this is the twelve men, from searching of the land after forty days. And when they came back, the Bible tells us that when these men came back, they've been out there forty days spying the land out. When they came back, they went straight to Moses and they gave the report. Now when the report was given, there was two different opinions. There was the report of the majority, and there was the report of the minority. There was the report of ten men, there was the report of two men. Notice chap chapter 13, verse 26, and notice the report of the majority. Look at it. Follow me closely in the scripture. Verse 26, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, 
and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. They had that huge cluster of grapes from Eskel. But number 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover, on top of all that they said, we saw the children of Anak there. Now let me just point out two things from what the report they gave. For one thing, I see what they saw. Ten of the twelve men came back talking about the fruit of the land. But not only did they come back talking about the fruit of the land, they were talking about the foes of the land. They said, we saw the children of Anak there. Now the children of Anak were a tall and a large people. They were called giants in those days. In fact, the giant Goliath that David killed with a sling and a stone, he was a, was a descendant of the Anakims. And the Bible tells us that Goliath stood a little bit over 10 foot tall. So when they went in there, they saw this large people, this tall people. They saw mighty giants and they saw many giants. But they came back and this is what they said, verse 33. They said, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. They saw the giants. And when they saw the giants, it gave them a grasshopper complex, you might say. They saw the giants as large. They saw themselves as small. And they came back scared to death, and this is what they were saying. It can't be done. God said, I give you the lamb. Now go check it out. They come back and 10 of them say, we can't do it. There's giants in the land. The cities are walled. We can't do it. I think about a school teacher that once asked her second grade class to define a mule. And this little boy spoke up and said, a mule is an animal that is awfully backward about going forward. Well, you might say that the sight of these giants suddenly made these 10 men suddenly awfully backward about going forward. And so they came back talking about, we can't do it. Notice in verse chapter 1, or chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, how it affected the people. And when they heard that report, verse 1 said, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Ten of them come back saying, There are giants down there. And there's no way we can do it. And everybody went to pieces. They cried all day long. They cried all night long. And they complained all day long. They just went all to pieces about it. The doubt of the ten sparked the despair of the multitude. But here's what happened. They were brought face to face with a situation that revealed their faith. They came face to face with giants. It was God's land. God gave them the land. But it revealed whether or not they would take God at His word. Now would it be in some situation God brought you into? You were brought into a situation where your faith was put to the test. What would it reveal? Would it reveal the fact that you will not take God at His word? That you will back down from obeying God? That you'll step away from doing the will of God for your life? Or would you obey God? You see, sometimes situations we are brought into reveal the absence of faith in our life. Are you with me now? Say amen. But look at something else. You not only see the fear of the majority, but you see the faith of the minority. For notice in verse Chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. What revealed the presence or the absence of faith in ten which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Two of the men that went down there was Joshua and Caleb. And they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through the search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for their bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Now here's the story. 
Ten of them came back saying, we can. But two of them came back saying, we can. All twelve saw the same thing, but they saw things differently. Ten of them saw obstacles. Two of them saw opportunities. Ten of them saw giants, but two of them saw God. And it's how they looked at the situation that made them react different to it. What revealed the lack of faith on the part of ten men revealed a life of faith on the part of Joshua and Caleb. Let me just point out a few things. Notice in verse 8, you see they had faith in God's plan. Verse 8, they said, If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. you got to remember now, going into Canaan was not their ideal. They had not discovered Canaan. They had been directed to Canaan. This was God's plan for them. And Joshua and Caleb said, Hey, wait a minute. What are you talking about? What are you all so upset about? Didn't God give us the land? Is this not the plan of God for our life? They had faith in God's plan. Second of all, they had faith in God's power. Look at verse 9. They said, Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. I love the way they describe them. The ten men came back saying they are giants in the land. But Joshua and Caleb came back and said they're bred in the land. The ten men had a grasshopper complex. But Joshua and Caleb had a Wheaties mentality. They said they're breakfast of champions, amen. Can I get an amen right there? And they saw the giants, the ten saw the giants as bigger than they were. But Joshua and Caleb saw the giants smaller than God. Joshua did not, Caleb did not think about what they could do. They thought about what God could do. And so they came back with a different attitude. They had faith in God's power. Thirdly, they had faith in God's promise. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 14. Bible said all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and the people wept all night and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses against Aaron the whole congregation said would God we had died in the land of wilderness or would God we had died in the land of Egypt or died in the wilderness now notice carefully that God did not say I will give but which I give God was saying to them I've already given you the land before they ever went out the land was theirs and Joshua and Caleb knew the land was already, already theirs. They were believing the promises of God. And last of all, in verse 9, they had faith in His presence. They said, the Lord is with us. They knew the Lord was with them. Now let me let's sum it all up this way. What revealed the absence of faith in ten men revealed the presence of faith in two men. Now listen to me tonight, and I'm going to wrap this up. You can mark this down as I said in the very beginning. In your Christian life, there is always going to come somewhere and sometime a situation that's going to put your faith to the test. I've said this before. I've shared this with you before, but I'll tell you again. I'll never forget the night that I left, or the last night that, uh, that I was at home before I left to go to Bible school. The pastor had invited me and Sherry to come and eat with them. We had dinner, had supper, as we called it, and after dinner we went out. Me and the preacher took a little walk. I remember him talking to me about a few things that night, telling me this and telling me that, and sharing this with me and sharing uh, these things with me. But I'll never forget the one thing that he said. I didn't understand what he said that night or what he really meant that night, but as the years passed by, I appreciated the wisdom of what he had to say. But this is what he said to him. He said, I want you to understand something. You're going to school for more than an education. You're going to school to learn more uh, get more than just an education in books. He said, the reason you're going to school is far more than an education. It's becoming a training ground for you by God. He said, one of these days you're going to preach to people. And one of these days you're going to tell them that God's grace is sufficient. He said, God's going to put you in situations where you're going to learn that His grace is sufficient. And he said, one of these days you're going to tell people, you're going to get up in front of people and you're going to tell them, look, God can supply all your needs. He said, God's going to teach you that he can supply all your needs. And he went on, he mentioned several things. And I didn't, as I said, I didn't understand fully what he meant that night. But as the years passed by and I look back, I see things that happened. I think about when we first came down here, situations that came up. 
I think about my first church when I went on, went stepped out by faith. Take my first church, never had a full-time pastor before, had no way they could pay a full-time pastor. But I remember that Sunday night when God said, I want you to go full-time. Steve was there at that time. Steve Green and his family, meanest child I ever had in the years I pastored, amen. His whole family were members of my first church. But I remember when God spoke to my heart one Sunday night as a missionary by the name of Bobby Thale. And he was a missionary from down in the West Indies. And he preached that night on, Prove me now, here with saith the Lord of hosts. And God wrung my heart out that night. I got in the car and started home. I looked at my wife and I said, The Lord spoke to me tonight about doing something. And I was uh, pastoring the church. We had one child at the time. I was working a full-time full job and so on for the first time in our life. We, 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 school was out and different things. The first time in life, I was getting a small salary from the church, $75 a week, and drawing a salary from my job. First time in our life, we was able to go to Crystal and go out and eat. I mean, we were really living it up. We were, I mean, we were splurged. We was, we got to go to Hardy's, and all oh, we was having a good time. But God said, I want you to go full time. And I said, God spoke to my heart tonight. And she looked at me, tears in her eyes, and she said, the Lord wants us to go full time. I called my deacons, had three of them, got together on a Saturday night, met with them, sat down with them. I said, fellas, I said, the Lord spoke to my heart and laid something on my heart. And they said, what is it? I said, God wants me to go full time. One of them spoke up and said, Brother Kim, we can't pay you anymore. I said, Brother, and they couldn't pay me anymore. And I said, I didn't ask you to pay me anymore. I said, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just wanting you to know God wants me to go full time. One of them spoke up and said to me, I'm just about to get over this. But I've heard this most of my life. But Brother Ken, you know you're awful young. Do you, you know what you're doing? I said, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I had no idea what I was doing, but at least I thought I did. Funny, nobody said you're awful, you're, you're, you're young. Yeah, I hadn't heard that in some time, amen. But, uh, but another one looked at me. His name is Arnold White, dear friends of ours of this day. He said, Brother Ken, I think you're making a mistake, but I'll support you if you really feel like that's what the Lord wants you. And they did. I went full time. I could stand here the rest of this night telling you how God, how he worked in situations, how he met needs in our life. But I look back and I see how every situation God brought me to this place and moved me to this place to see whether or not I do what he wanted me to do. You see, somewhere God's going to bring you face to face with the decision you've got to make or bring you face to face with a problem to see whether or not you're going to trust God. Whether or not you'll have faith in God. You mark it down. Through the years and the history of this church in 60 plus years, there have been times that God brought you, and even during my 15 years, there'll soon be 15 years, where God has brought us to a point where we said we're going to either trust God or we're not going to trust God. And there'll be days out in the future where we're going to have to say, if we're going to follow God, we're going to have to trust God. And there'll be times when we won't know how to do it and we won't know how we're going to get it done, but if it be the will of God, we'll be face to face whether or not we're going to believe God and trust God or back down from God. Somewhere God always brings you face to face with that. I remember when it's, again, going back to when I first started. I remember when... Our baby, in fact, Tim, Sherry was pregnant with uh, Tim at that time. And so I uh, just got pregnant. So uh, she went to a doctor and the doctor turned her down and whatever there because we didn't make enough money. I remember she coming home, she came home crying and embarrassed because the doctor had been rude to her and turned her down because he didn't make enough money. Couldn't afford me, he said. But I remember that very week someone called and said, Brother Ken, I just butchered a cow said, would you like to have half of this beef? And they brought beef over and we packed it in our refrigerator. We put it here, we put it there. Time and time and time again, God proved himself that if you just obey God and take God at his word, he will take care of you. Somewhere God will bring us face to face. Can I be honest with you tonight? I said a moment ago, I'll soon be here 15 years. This coming August, I'll be here 15 years and the 15 years I've been here, I have never been more settled. I have never been more confident in what I believe God has brought us to and what God is about to do in this place than I am this particular night. I mean that. I'm not just saying that. I'm not just beating my gun. I mean that. I believe we're on the verge of seeing something unique from God. 
I believe that. But you mark it down. We look at the future. And I'll be honest with you. I was walking across the parking lot with Aaron the other day, and he asked me a question. I said, I said to him, I said, to be honest with you, this is a scary time in my life. I find myself wondering and fearful about what I must do and where we must go in the days to come. See, I believe as a church we've been brought to a place. I believe this by my heart. Listen to me. I believe we've been brought to a place in our ministry where we are going to have to believe God and we're going to have to take steps that from a human perspective, I don't know how we can do them. I don't know how we can do them. But yet if they're of God, somewhere we're going to have to come to a point where we're going to have to say, we don't know how we can do it. We don't know how we're going to get it done. But we're going to believe God and take God at His word. We're going to be brought to that point. And I believe we're at that point. You say, well, I like things like they are. I want you to listen to me tonight. There's one thing about church. A church either goes forward or it eventually starts going backwards. You cannot get to a place and stay there. You, you, you may get to a place and maintain something for a while, but you'll have to fight to maintain it, and somewhere down the road, you will begin to go backwards. Now, I think about where we are here, and I think about what we, where we've been brought in recent days. The Spirit of God, what I feel in my heart, what I think that you feel, I think you have a kindred spirit with me in what I'm saying and what we sense in this church. But I think we've been brought to a place where we're going to have to decide, are we going to stay here and just hang on and then in the days to come become a memory of what it used to be or are we going to take the step that we feel like will have to be necessary to go down the road and go even further with God? I think we've been brought to that place. There's a standing room we've been talking and praying about and right now we're thinking about and I'll share with you just a little bit. I think it's a place, I really do. I don't think tomorrow, but I, I really believe we've come to the point where we need to decide we're going to do something much bigger, the biggest thing we've ever done in our life. I talked to you about it. I think it's time. I think we're starting to get ready. It's time for us to get ready to build a brand new auditorium, twice, three times bigger than what we've got here. And I, I really believe that because you say, well, but this one's not for... I want, you, I want you to listen to me. It is a proven rule in church growth. I've sat here for 15 years trying to figure things out and trying to get my finger on the pulse where we at. We'll have a little spurt and it'll go good, and then we'll see me level back down. We'll have another little spurt, and then we'll level back down. Have another little spurt, and we'll level back down. Has it not been that way for all these years? I'm going to tell you why. There is a proven rule in church growth that when a church reaches 80% of its capacity, it will stop growing. 80%. It is a proven rule. There's too many examples, and there's too many stories out there, too much study that's gone into this to, de to debate it. When a church reaches 80% of its capacity, it will stop growing. I'm going to tell you why. It's been like we have been through. It's been great. Better it's ever been. But I'm going to tell you why it is. We have a little spurt, then we'll level back down. You know why we have level back down? Because we can't handle no more than what we got. We are not at 80%. We're at 90%. We can't expand Sunday school. We, we don't have any on Sunday morning. On an average Sunday morning, this building is comfortably filled. There'll be least, this building will be at least 90% filled with capacity on Sunday morning. You know that. I'm not exact. That's not evangelistic speaking. All you got to do is look around. Or you say, well, there's a pew. There was three seats empty in front of me this morning. We don't need a new building. Well, listen, when you get 80%, you'll stop growing. And that's what we'll do. We'll have a little spurt, then it'll level back down. We'll have a little spurt, then it'll level back down. Parking. I didn't, you, you go out there on Sunday morning and watch people on average Sunday. I've seen people drive through and pull off because they couldn't find a parking space. That's why we're so concerned about finding more land and, and having more parking spaces. Because when you get to a certain point, you will have what you're capable of having. And if you want to have more than you've got to be able to handle what you want to have. Now it is my conviction as this church, the spirit in this church and the place we brought, God has brought us to and all the things he's, he's brought us to that point where we're either going to say we're going to abide the way we have abided through all these years or we are going to begin to trust God in a capacity we've never trusted God before and break ground in territory we've never gone before and do more for God than we've ever done. 
Now listen to me. This is my plans. I'm going to scare you to death. Are you ready? I'm going to scare you to death. Are you listening to me? When I'm through, if you want to get up and make a motion to fire me, go right ahead. But I'm going to tell you what I feel right now. Are you listening? Are you listening? we got a project going on right now. It's going to run us about $190,000. It's going to be one of the best things we've ever done. You say, wow, I don't know. You come walking in. I don't know what we need new nurseries for. Well, you don't have kids. You know what I'm talking about. But there are a lot of them around here that have kids and more and more coming in than have kids. It's one of the keys to reaching young couples and young couples is a key to any church and where it grows. And so that's why we're doing. getting ready, not just meeting a need now, but getting ready for the future. When this is done and when it's paid for and by God's help, by God's grace, this fall, as soon as it's done and as soon as it's taken care of, we're starting to get ready to raise money and to build and to open, step out and say, Dear God, we're going to do as much as we can before Jesus comes. We're not going to limit ourselves anymore. We're going to do everything we can to reach more people and go for the glory of God. So get ready. You think the chest of Joash has been a big thing. You wait. It's going to seem like the rest of our life raising money. Now, all right, the floor's open. Anybody want to vote me out? Go right ahead. I'll take a motion. And you can vote me out. But I think the majority would be with me. Are you with me? Amen. Talking about stepping out. You say, how are we going to do it? I don't know. I'm not talking about going starting this fall and in, in January breaking ground for a bit. I'm talking about three, five years. We're talking about the kind of project we're looking at. We're looking at three to five years before we ever get ready to break ground. I'm talking about raising money. Thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm talking about one of our goals was to begin TV this year. We're going to do it so we're, when we move in that new building, wherever we get it, praying for this over here. I don't want a business to fail, but Lord, you know we need the property, amen. And school over here, I, I, wouldn't it be one? I, I, we ought to call the school board and let them know that's a bad place. It's dangerous over there when it rains, the water gets up, and little kids are going to get washed away. You ought to relocate. Now, you know, there's a lot of ways to pray. Say amen right there. And we're praying for everything. I don't know where we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to do it. But I've resigned to the fact that I believe God wants us to do it. And I believe we can step out and do things and go somewhere we've never been before. You brought face to face with face face to face with a situation. It's going to reveal whether or not we will. Trust God. The bottom line is, what does God want? And if it's what God wants, we know that He'll take care of it. Amen? Amen. He reveals our faith. Let's stand to our feet, please, if you're able to.